Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Unapologetically Different Podcast. We are back for season three, episode 18. We hope everyone enjoyed our opening episode last week. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an important topic with everything going on in the world in Charlottesville. So it was definitely important to kind of open up the season with that and just get right into that topic. And if you haven't tuned into it already, please check it out on SoundCloud and iTunes. It's posted. Yes, definitely go back and check that out if you haven't heard it. So how was your weekend, Key? It was good. I had a very chill weekend. I had some fun and... I liked it. It was a good balance, but I also worked, so it wasn't like I was out getting crazy or twerking or anything like that. I'm just saying, you kind of like blushed a little bit. You want a date? I'm not saying nothing. I just, I had a good weekend. I'm good. I respect it. I respect it. (laughs) I had a great weekend. I I, I watched Game of Thrones, which was ridiculous. I don't know if you watched Game of Thrones, but it's just must-see TV. I haven't watched it. I just, first of all, it's just too much to keep up with. And it's like, what, season 12? Oh, okay, seven. just seven. So it basically just is seven fair. shy of that. But um, I don't, I haven't gotten into it because I'm the kind of person I can't just jump into an episode. I have to see it from the beginning. And it's just going to be way too much shows for me to catch up to. And that's not the only one. I'm into Grey's Anatomy, and I haven't been keeping up with that. So it's like... Honestly, it's on a back burner for right now. Okay, well, it, the season just ended, so if you do want to catch up, definitely go back. And honestly, you could binge with me. I'll watch it over from the beginning. So I'm just putting Is that, that out serious? there. Is that serious? That good. But, yeah, so in today's first topic, on Saturday, August 19th, approximately 100 members of the New York City Police Department, primarily officers of color, formed a rally in support of none other than Colin Kaepernick. That, and that was actually like a big surprise when I kind of heard about that. Um, so the rally took place at the Brooklyn Bridge Park and the sergeant, Edward Raymond, stated they were planning the event prior to the Charlottesville incident, but the violence made the need for the event more pressing. He quoted saying, as a member of law enforcement, we can confirm that issues, we can confirm that the issues he is saying exist in policing and throughout the criminal justice system indeed exists. Um, I was kind of surprised by the rally too. I do think it's great that officers actually came out, especially officers of color, primarily black officers in the NYPD came out to show support. However, I, to me, I was kind of indifferent to this sudden support. Um, my take on it is that now officers are coming together and rallying for Kaepernick because football is in jeopardy and to me to me it's just it's ass backwards because Kaepernick supports the Black Lives Matter movement hence why he was kneeling um black people experiencing police brutality and high rates of death as a result was a driving force behind Kaepernick's resistance so since that's the case where were these same police officers like prior to his career being in jeopardy matter of fact let's take it a step further where was these cops when the Eric Garner verdict came in? Where were they when the Philando Castile verdict came in? And when the, there were issues surrounding um, the Philando Castile incident? You know, I think it would have been much more powerful if they had united prior to all of um, Kaepernick's career being in jeopardy because it would have showed solidarity, but to me it would have just been more genuine. Um, I think the rally, and also along with that, to me, it's bothersome because now that an athlete slash celebrity is taking a stand, it's like now these cops want to come together. 
So technically, it's like they're saying we support Black Lives Matter, but we really don't <laughs> because it's like we support it because it's an athlete whose career is at jeopardy and he was kneeling for this cause. But when it was just a cause solely on its own without any supports from athletes, it was like it wasn't it wasn't a situation. It was Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter became this whole spectacle. But it was like at the end of the day, we're all humans, no yeah. matter if you're in a uniform or not should be treated accordingly. So to me, it was, I was not really, I wasn't happy with the rally because I was like, what are we doing? Like, or not we, what What are you doing? Because I'm confused about the purpose and the drive behind it. And I just wanted to, I was kind of flabbergasted by all of that. And I just want to make clear, I'm not anti-police because I don't want people to run off and say, oh my God, she's anti-cops. That's not the case. I understand that there are cops out there put their lives on the line every single day. And I really do stand and support police officers, the ones who are actually protecting and serving the community, all communities, not particular demographics, particular people, but they protect everyone and they make sure they do their job accordingly. What about you? What was your take on that? To be honest, again, like I said, I was really surprised when I heard about it. And I didn't, I thought it was great. I thought it was great that they were showing their support. They were coming together and rallying behind him. But when I heard what you said about it, that kind of did open my eyes like, wait, that is pretty interesting that um, throughout everything that's happened over the past two, three years with these um, shootings that have been recorded and posted online and all these verdicts of not guilty for police officers with these um, police brutality cases, I did find it pretty interesting that now is the time they... It, it like they decided to speak out and rally against it. Um, that definitely just shows you the power of celebrity. When you, when you're a celebrity and you're a sports star, like that's big in our culture today. That makes a difference and it it brings people together. Um, but me being the optimist, like you like to say, I do think it's great that they are standing for him and they are saying. The things that he's talking about, they're actually they do exist, and they're not they're not acting like the police department's perfect. They know their issues. They know their things that need to get worked out. So that I do, I do like that. They're by them having this rally. They're basically saying yes. We know there's issues, and we know the change needs to come. When those changes will actually start to take place, that's a whole different conversation. But I think at the end of the day, just having that awareness of it is great. And I'm, I'm, I was excited and happy to see them take that first step. I think the awareness is great, but also I hope that they're going to do more. Coming together and wearing a black t-shirt saying I'm with Cap by Brooklyn Bridge is not enough for me. Um, I'm not throwing no shade. I'm just keeping it 100. I would like to see them do more than that. Because imagine those 100 members that were there are approximately... Now, if they went into their precinct and their departments, which is comprised of other ethnic groups and basically their white counterparts, are you having those conversations with them? Are you having those conversations with them about police brutality and how certain communities are victimized? Are they having that dialect that's important? Because I think when you have those conversations and you're having those interactions with your other colleagues, you probably just saved somebody's life, if not several. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because one of them could have been like, I just had this conversation with you about how to act accordingly in this situation. I had a, an encounter with this black man or this black woman, and because of that conversation I had, and it was so profound, I looked at it differently, and you probably just saved a life. And as simple as it may sound, 
and it may seem that's really what it is. So I really hope they're taking it a step further and having these conversations and also their partners. I hope that their partners that they're working with and when they go out in the forest are people different from them. So they're having that conversations and when they do come across someone of color or a black person, they go as a team where they, you know, the partner understands like, well, you know, being that we had a conversation, I know how you are and we kind of bridge a gap of communication, I feel more comfortable going into this incident and kind of acting accordingly. I just want it to be more than just what they did on Saturday and take it up a step further. Noted. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so, moving on. Seth Devolve, the tight end for the Cleveland Browns, became the first white NFL player to kneel during the national anthem this year. His participation was derived from the fact that he's married to a black woman and they plan on starting a family. And in the eyes of the world, his children will essentially be black. Devolve's wife stated, I'd like to push back against some of the attention he's been getting that portrays him as a white savior to the movement that was started and has been carried on by black football players for about a year now. Her statements were very important because oftentimes we have white allies in these movements and they can become the savior of the movement or it also takes away from the bigger picture in addition to that there are black leaders that can become marginalized because of the white allies who again can be sometimes considered the white saviors and tend to get if not all but most of the recognition i think it's imperative that she made her comments acknowledge that the movement started way before her husband decided to take a kneel but i think it's a great that He's actually seeing what the players are going for and him bringing that support. And I think that's very important because you need the support of everyone to make these changes happen. It's not only the black players or only the white players, but it's just the people, the players, the the world. Well, I'm glad you kind of said that because it... So here's my question. If the NFL is comprised of mostly black athletes, right, and they all was to strike or disband the NFL and not play. Do we really need our white allies? Because if we were to take a drastic approach and say, like, hey, I'm not doing this. You know what I'm saying? Look how y'all do my man Kaepernick. Basically, you're feeding into the whole concept that we're modern-day slaves in a sense, essentially. So if they were all to strike and disband and say, we not playing, do we really need our white allies to come in and support? We already made a statement. How y'all gonna play without us? I think, I think that, oh, we <laughs> Because you just said that we need everyone. I do think everyone needs to be involved. However, um, I don't think that it should take for him to have a black wife to get involved. I think that's more of a reason why he's getting involved. It's more of an incentive. I think it's great that he's actually participating in the movement as well. But then it leaves room to question, what about the white athletes that are not with black women? Like, y'all should be taking a nail too. Like, why is it that it's just this one because he has more of a personal connection and he understands and they're probably at home having these kind of conversations. And he has to deal with form of racism and being the fact that he's with a black woman. So there's certain criticism that they may both go through or individually. But my thing is, like, do we really need our white allies yes. if they are going to be disbanding the um, NFL. Because it's bigger than the NFL. So NFL is just one piece of it. We need to be united together because it's just going to end up being black people versus white people, which is not what we're trying to go for. That's not what we're trying to go for, and that's not really what I want to aim for in terms of asking a question and having like 
being divisive, but it's just, I feel as if that, like to go back to the original statement, oftentimes when white allies be a part of the movement, which I think it's great, it happened years ago, um, and part of student nonviolent committee SNCC back in the day in terms of the civil rights movement, it was very important that, you know, we had white allies a part of the movement. Sometimes in these instances, just like his wife Erica stated, and I'm so happy she made that statement, you know, I don't want him to become the white savior of this movement because that's not what it is. And oftentimes that's what happens. You know, when we have white allies that participate in the movement, it's like they get all the credit and it's like everyone else who actually started it and put in the work, Kaepernick who's losing his damn, can't even get his career back on track, you know, who's going through, experiencing the worst part of it. It's like you lose sight of it because we have our white allies supporting it. I'm not saying I'm against white allies supporting any movement. I we appreciate the support, but at the same time, it always it always become a situation of when when white allies become a part of the movement. It, it as much as it's not supposed to be a form of segregation or black and white or who gets more recognition than another, it becomes that, and the, like the movement and what the cause and the purpose and the core of it just kind of get washed away. And um, that was my take on it, but I do understand what you're saying. Like, them being together holistically and coming together does make a difference. I do think it's it's interesting that some of these football players are all kneeling now, that they on a contract, <laughs> the season about to start, everybody's job is in full tact, and now people want to get fancy. But it was like before, the amount of support wasn't on the same level. So um, I do believe there's politics that ties into that, and um, I just find it to be very interesting how it played out. But do you think he would have nailed if he wasn't with a black woman? I couldn't say. Uh, there's literally no way for me to say, but I get it. He is with the black woman. That's the reality of the situation. And like you said, they, there's there's a good chance that they may hear comments from different people, either together or separately. So I'm, I'm sure that plays a major factor in it. But um, I actually have a friend who's white. He only dates black women, and I, I've i literally had conversations with him and kind of made him realize, like, hey, if this is the the lifestyle that you want, you only date black women, you know you're going to have black children. So I kind of used that as a way to, like, educate him on the reality of being a black person in America or just in the world in general. So I think the fact that he has a black wife or... A, in the case of my friend, he has a black friend who kind of keeping him woke or whatever. <laughs> um, and well informed. Yeah, I think that definitely makes a difference because if, you're, if your peer group isn't talking about these issues, then you may not be informed. But if you happen to be around a lot of black players or have a lot mm-hmm. of black friends, it's definitely going to affect you. And, yeah. And I think with that being said, you can, if let's say you're a white person, but you hang around predominantly white people, some issues for black people may not, it just may not be as pressing as other issues that you may dealing, be dealing with based on your background, your upbringing. So I definitely think his wife being black has a factor to do with it, a major factor, but I, I really couldn't say if he would. If he, if he wasn't with a black woman. Yeah. All right, that's cool. Because he could be with... I was going to make a stupid comment, but just I renewed that. that. Yes. Just, just leave it at that, okay? He was doing real good. Let's keep it on track. Um, so we got to switch it up. So Pierre and I attended the Stanford Kaepernick rally on August 23rd in front of the NFL headquarters. 
We posted the footage from the rally on our IG page, underscore unapologetically underscore different, and on our Facebook page at unapologetically different. So please check out the footage when you get a chance. Um, I thought the rally was fun. I enjoyed it for what it was. There was a lot of people at the rally. Um, what I noticed that stood out the most, of course, was that there were two males that attended the rally, and they both had on Make America Great Again hats. And they also had posters stating that they support Trump and fascism. And things went kind of left because, you know, they were walking through the crowd. There were some people that were really riled up about it. I was bothered by it because it was like, this is not the time, nor is it the place. And the rally is really meant for Kaepernick and supporting him. We don't really, it wasn't a place to really bring Trump into the um, conversation or into the mix or to kind of say, I support Trump. It really wasn't that kind of setup. It wasn't a Charlottesville. So I was kind of confused by them being there. The cops did escort them out, but they did come back and they walked through the crowd. Um, but by that time, it was practically over anyway. So what was your take on the rally? Um, well, just to... Keep it 100, because you had a... No, no, I'm just saying, just to... Based on what you were just saying regarding the two Trump supporters, I wasn't upset that they were there. Because at the end of the day, the free country, freedom of speech, they can be wherever they want to be. No, like, it's a free country. And I think as long as they weren't being violent... Is it violent, really a free country? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You got I, it. I think in terms of them not being aggressive and causing any violence or touching people or just being inappropriate, I think they're entitled to be where they were with whatever signs that they had. Because well, they were being inappropriate because they were walking through the crowd and they were putting up their posters and walking around like... There was no point for all of that. Like, that wasn't you, the place for that. You can't say that because there are people who... Like, I've literally seen on Snapchat, people were online going to a Trump rally in a stadium, and then they're on Snapchat like, these mo these motherfuckers don't know we're about to go in there and bust this whole rally up, and they're like anti-Trump protesters just sneaking into the rally just to go in there and just... But if it's a Trump protest, it makes sense anti-Trump protesters are there this is a Kaepernick stand with Kaepernick rally so the point of them being there that's the thing that's to me what they did is provoking they mm. wanted attention they wanted they did get a reaction because dude from the Bronx is about to rock yeah. his shit real cute I was like yeah shout out to my people no, <laughs> no I mean the cop was there so nothing happened but like it just wasn't I get what you're saying I really do understand the whole freedom of speech aspect and then the whole concept of being free in this country is very debatable <laughs> can we not say that yes we can the reality is your example of what you use was those were anti-Trump supporters or protesters to say better wording at an, in a Trump rally you were at a cap and that has nothing to do with Trump like, let's keep it 100. They were provoking. They were being point. provoking. You were trying to get a reaction out of people. And then you kept walking in and out the crowd when the cops was like, you could go stand across the street someplace else. You can't stand right here. What was the point? You was looking for attention. And now if somebody put their hands on them, it would have been a problem. And it wasn't, that, but it wasn't kind of, it wasn't that kind of rally. Like, it wasn't even meant to be that. And that was the only part I really disliked because I love it when we come together. I love all the posters that were there. You know, the dude with the um, I'm with Cap hat. I love that. Like, that's a, those are the things I really do enjoy. Like, when it's a positive kind of protest and rally, especially in light of what happened with Charlottesville. Like, so to have them two come in, when they, to me, I was like, all right, now y'all sitting up here and y'all trying to get fancy. And this is not the time, nor it's the place for that. 
So I get what you're saying, but I just wasn't feeling it. No, no, that's a good. That I, I like your perspective there in terms of it's not like they were coming to say we're pro ESPN or pro. They were just like we riding with Trump to the end. That's basically what they were. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like it just did not make sense to me. But then the dude, your dude from the Bronx, he was it's like... It's not my dude. He's just from the Bronx. He <laughs> I was, just want to be clear. He was taking it to a next level. He was like, yo, come to the Bronx with that. I was just like, <laughs> come on. like he, and he tried to grab their phone. I'm like, you can't be doing that. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, listen, when you come to stuff like that and you provoke people, things like that is going to happen, unfortunately. Right. Was it right? No. But, I mean, we could say the same thing for Charlottesville. Did people right. have to die? Did you have to put your, run your car through a crowd? Yeah. And you 20 years old? Don't you got something to do with yourself? Like, yeah. reality is, like, I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but them stuff in there, like, to me, they was trying to create a situation. Right, right. They wanted to cause a problem and get a reaction, and then it would have been that kind of situation. And then where we would have been at with that. So, but that was my first ride that I've ever gone to, and I thought it was great. I love the energy, and like you said, it felt great seeing people come together um, for one positive cause. But to be honest, it felt weird. Why? Like, because I don't know. I just I feel be like honest. when people when people of color come together and unite for a cause, I think there's and this could just be a story in my head, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's like, it's kind of frowned upon. Like, I think if women were marching for women's right, that's awesome. If people were marching to support the refugees, uh, that, that the refugees from whatever country, that's great. But then when it's black people coming together, saying civil rights and anti-police brutality, all that good stuff, I feel like, that kind of stuff gets frowned upon. And again, it just this could just be in my head. So it just I just felt like, damn, I'm doing something that I know feels right to me, but the mainstream world might be looking at it like what are these people talking about? They're always there's always something, they're never happy. Like I was just getting all this stuff in my head, but as I got to like really get into it, start talking to different people, networking, like I loved it. It was great. Like it was a great experience. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, it will not be my last, so I'm excited. That's you, the good part that you, it won't be your last, and I'm glad that you enjoyed yourself. Um, I know this. I seen the look on your face when we were there, but you know I'm in my element when I go to those things. I love it. I live for it. I vibe with the people in the crowd and the energy. I just I think it's great. I do think it's frowned upon, but for me it's like I don't really go there expecting the media to say anything positive because they probably won't. Um, I've attended several protests and I've heard people say things happen. I was like, that did not happen. (laughs) So I'm not sure what you watching, but I was there. Um, And I live for those things because I feel like you're actually doing something and it's just one bit of a difference. Yeah. Um, I wish it was like a massive, huge crowd, like a big protest in terms of like when Eric Garner verdict came out, I thought that was like huge. Could we um, walk past the the, the Brooklyn Bridge and stuff like that? But... I think a significant amount of people came out, and I really enjoyed it for what it was. And I, it would be nice if it continued to kind of see how much momentum it will get moving forward. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you for making my first time special. You, <laughs> you, sound- you just, 
you just you just did everything right, and I appreciate you for that. <laughs> That's what she said. All right. <laughs> so moving on. Yes. Um. So, Trump hmm. has elected to use one of his constitutional powers. <laughs> Just to hear his name in Constitution the same sentence. Boy, child, continue. Mess. That's funny. Um, So he used his executive power of pardoning to pardon Joe Arpaio, who was the Maricopa County Sheriff for six terms between 1993 to 2016. Joe Arpaio, for those who don't know him, he liked to call himself America's toughest sheriff. Apero had been in headlines for calling his tent city jail a concentration camp and for making inmates there wear pink underwear, eat only two meals a day, and endure unbearable hot temperatures in the summer. There were three inmates that actually died after being forced into restraint chairs that Apero kept in his jail. So... That's ridiculous. Yeah, he... Just to hear that alone makes my skin crawl. <laughs> and when I was looking into Joe Perro because I, I didn't know who he was prior to finding out about the pardon, it it was really reminiscent to the Khalif Broader story yeah. and everything that was going on in Rikers Island and how those prisons were... Like, the inmates were not treated humanely. There and was even a, 13 documentary, too. Exactly. If you haven't seen those episodes, you should definitely go and check those out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the it seemed like he was a very, like he said, tough sheriff. People died on his watch based on the conditions that he put people through. And there's actually a quote from uh, Francisco Cherez, who spent a year in one of Apparel's tent city camps. And he told the Washington Post that, during the sweltering summer, the temperature could reach 115 or 120 degrees. I was in the tent when it hit 120. It was impossible to stay cool in the oppressive heat. Everyone was stripped down to their underwear. There was no cold water, only water from vending machines. And eventually the machines would run out. People would faint, sometimes have heat strokes. That summer, ambulances came about three times. One man died in his bed. But the winter was even worse. During the winter, there was no heaters. Most jackets and heavily insulated pants weren't allowed. They wanted you to be uncomfortable. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So just hearing all this stuff about just Joe Perro and how he ran his prisons and prisoners saying that his job was to make them uncomfortable. And I, I get it. People are in jail. They committed a crime. But at the end of the day, I just think people should, even though they are prisoners, they should have their human rights before you consider them prisoners. So, Well, that's interesting. I think yeah. we're going to get back into that. But also, too, um, Arpaio was considering a political lightning rod and was well known for his crusade against illegal immigration, um, which led to his conviction last month for um, racially profiling Latinos. Now I see why him and Trump are besties. <laughs> I get it. All right, cool. Trump had originally asked Attorney General Jeff Sessions if the federal criminal case against Arpaio could be dropped entirely, but was told that would be inappropriate according to the Washington Post. Arpaio was also a supporter of Arizona's controversial Papers, Please law of 2010 that requires law enforcement to check people's ID if they have a reasonable suspicion somebody was in the country illegally. So it's kind of similar to Stop and Frisk, but yeah. not so much. 
And also, um, for Peo, probable cause came down to um, racial profiling. He ordered his deputies to stop anyone who looked illegal, so black and brown people <laughs> fit the qualifications, which is to say Hispanic. Um, those who couldn't um, produce proof of citizenship or legal um, immigrant status were arrested and detained. That's crazy, because I'm like, I don't have my papers. Who carries their papers with them? Do you Matter of your- fact, it's not even just that ID. Do you have your papers? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, ID, okay. Like, into the boy. <laughs> like, IDs. Like, so what if you end up leaving your house and you forgot and a cop stopped you and it's like, oh, I don't have my ID, then what? Like, yeah. and it's the burden that black and brown people have to deal with. That's not essentially something that's universal, which is something that is really problematic in its own right. Um, so, Apparel had several run-ins with the law due to his taxes, tactics and policies during his six years tenure as sheriff. A federal judge ruled in 2013 that the sheriff and his deputies had violated the constitutional rights of Latinos, and an independent monitor was ordered to ensure that the sheriff's office would end biased practices. But in 2014, the same judge said his order had been mocked and defied. He made similar comments in 2016 when he referred Mr. Perro for prosecution for criminal contempt. So, all of this leads us to the present day where Donald Trump elected to use his constitutional power to pardon Apero after his conviction. Trump seems to have a pattern where he tries to use his power to pretty much help out his friends or his supporters, like in the case where he told James Comey, the former FBI director, that he'd hope he could let the investigation go into the former National Security Director, Michael Flynn and as well as looking into the charges against Joe Apparel even before his trial took place. And just to bring it back a little bit further, Joe Apparel is actually one of the original supporters of the birthism where Trump was essentially saying President Obama was from Kenya and wasn't born in the United States. So oh, it's like coming full circle. Yeah, so him and you know, him and Joe, they go back. They're they're buddies. They're buddies. Yeah, so well, um, I just want to say, for someone who pushes the the agenda of bringing back law and order, it seems that Trump is consistently trying to go around the law to get things done for his own agenda. So, But do you think that um, Trump's stance on law and order was primarily meant for taming the black community, or does it apply to all groups? Because essentially that's what he was riding on during his election, law and order for the our community. So now it's like, do you think that it still pertains to our community or is this a universal thing? So when I hear law and order and I hear that rhetoric, I instantly get nervous because it just makes me think about um, mandatory minimums, stop and frisk, and just a host of other laws that essentially propel the mass incarceration prison industrial complex and it's primarily people of color who are getting affected by it so anytime i hear law and order law and order i just automatically think this is going to come down on the black community Mm -hmm. they're going to be the ones that are going to suffer um suffer the most from it so again i can't say that trump is specifically when he's saying this he's specifically thinking we're going to get black people latinos in jails but whether he's thinking that or not the numbers don't lie. The prisons are filled with predominantly black and Latino people. So mm-hmm. whether that's what he's implying 
or whatever any president or lawmaker if they were that's their thought it doesn't make a difference because at the end of the day these are the people that are getting affected by it predominantly um it feels like essentially no one's safe in trump's america there was the transgender ban in the military the lack of the the a lack of sincere condemnation of the neo-nazis and the white white supremacists post charlottesville the daily war against the crooked media (laughs) (laughs) and a constant reminder of bringing back law and order which again as a black man just sounds reminiscent of bringing back stopping frisk and just propelling the mass incarceration prison industrial complex and now backing a man who's been accused of racial profile Latinos and has waged war against immigrants it's like I I feel like if this was a movie, I would think Trump was trying to be impeached or trying to just get people to hate him. I don't know if he's fueled by the hate, but it's just like it's it just keeps on adding on and literally we haven't even gone through one year yet. <laughs> Yo. Um, I feel that way too. I think I really think he's surprised that he won and the fact that he has to continue his tenure as president it's probably draining him now. Um, I mean, the White House is like a temp agency at this point. So it's like, who knows? I'm about to see if I could apply and how long I'll last there. Um, so, so you, you're going to apply just so you can leak shit. Just, <laughs> just to leak shit to the crooked media. <laughs> um, so at this point, I, I do think he's doing... I mean, I think this is who he is. He's being true to who he really is. I don't know... If it's enough to say that he's trying to push himself to be impeached. But, I mean, I would love to see it happen. But one thing I appreciate about his presidency within the past couple months or so, or several to be exact, is that you just see how um, him being in power, I just feel like it just shows you the power behind white privilege. Because if this was Barack Obama, he would have been impeached, like, within, like, weeks. Like, (laughs) weeks. So it just, to me, it's like, wow, like the things you're getting away with, is just mind boggling to me. And now you pardon this dude, like, and he's blatantly racist. Like there's no going around it. And now it's like, here we are. And then you were justifying the neo-Nazis saying all sides, many sides, everybody, many sides. Many sides. <laughs> so it's like, bruh, I don't, you know what I'm saying? So at this point, I mean... I do believe what you say to some extent that he probably is trying to get himself fired. But at the flip side, and I always said it, I was like, this man is very true to who he is. Hashtag be who you are. Hashtag. <laughs> like the plug. So I feel like he's being true to who he is. So I don't know. It just, to me now, what's funny is that out of nowhere it came, to me, I felt like it came out of nowhere that he was pardoning Arpeo. And it was like, so this whole time you was talking about all of these things that were not really, that are relevant, but I feel like they were used as a distraction because this is what he's doing behind the scenes. And it makes me question, what else he doing? Who else he gonna pardon next week? Or what else he's gonna do? Because it seems like there's a lot of behind the scenes things happening and then out of nowhere it's being like told randomly. And it's like, wait, what? Like, so I mean, it's, but he's very consistent with, with his white supremacy and his foolishness. So there's no denying that. Um, but I don't know. It, it would ni- it would be nice to see if he was to be impeached, you know. But the Republican Party they don't want to lose, so they're gonna take the L. But this is a big ass L, though, like real talk. Um. So 
Now we're going to switch it up and talk about insecure. Very lighthearted topic, I think, <laughs> in light of everything we've been discussing. I don't know if everyone's been watching Insecure. It is on HBO, and it's in season two. Pierre and I are practically obsessed with it. I think it gives a perfect, well, for me, it gives a perfect reflection of millennials and where we're at dating. Well, primarily black millennials, because that's what the show's about. Very black, and I love it. Um... But it gives a very it gives a very clear cut um, description about what it's like dating as millennials, you know, having your own place, being broke, and all of these things and the ups and down, and truly, truly enjoy it. Yeah. So, but apparently, there's been a controversy over the use of condoms on the show, or lack thereof. Right. Mm-hmm. So apparently, online and through social media, people have been talking about the fact that they are not seeing condoms being used and Issa Rae the writer and star of the show she was actually engaging in casual sexual encounter with her neighbor Eddie on season 2 episode 3 and yeah there was no there was no scene of them putting the condom on the Issa actually came out and said we intend to place condoms in the background of scenes or imply them but we hear you guys and we'll do better next season. I think that's interesting because, like, I mean, I watch the show and, it, you know, there's been sex here and there. And then also with her ex, Lawrence, that was another topic, too, when he came over to get his stuff. And then they end up having sex on the couch. Real cute. Um, but there was no use of condom or anything in the background of it. I mean... I find it to be interesting that people are kind of nitpicking with this show because I watch Power, <laughs> that's on Stars, for those who have not known what that show is, with Omari Hardrick. It's a really good show. I love it. And there are a lot of sex scenes in that show, like way more than Insecure. And I barely see condoms being used or even like it in the background, maybe like once or twice, but it's not prevalent. And I don't recall people like really chiming in and making it like... An issue like it was discussed among BuzzFeed about insecure and also on the daily news it was like all oh, the use of the lack of use of condoms and then luckily Isa came out and mentioned that they will do a better job moving forward um, but my question is to you are you are shows like insecure supposed to portray safe sex all the time um I don't think so and if they don't um, as a viewer are you influenced by the lack of condoms or does that encourage you to use condoms more it definitely would not encourage me to use condoms more watching a show like that because, to be honest, it. I genuinely think everything you see, hear, do, and that you're around is going to influence you. And if you are watching a show and people are just like talking, 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 kissing, kissing, and they just start having sex, it's like if you don't have sex and this is what you're seeing on TV... It's gonna just it's it makes it just that much easier to kind of you imitating art in your own real life. Granted, I would hope people have enough education regarding sex to know it's you gotta be safe out there, you gotta protect yourself. Definitely and get tested and know <laughs> yeah. your status. That's very important. Yes. Um I I, I ask the question because I do think that the pressure of them having the condoms I don't know, for me it's a bit much because I watch all these shows, especially like Sex in the City. <laughs> for those who watch them shows and the seasons, they had sex like all the time. Like, 
And I don't recall condoms being used. Um, and I don't recall it being a controversy, the lack there. There may have been. I didn't come across it. But if, if it wasn't true and I did come across it, please let me know for our viewers because I like to be corrected on things. Um, so to me, it's like, I guess this show is like put on a pedestal, insecure as to kind of emulating that. I don't think that, I guess the concerning issue is like the younger generation watching it. Like maybe people below the age of 18, if they're actually watching a show and then being influenced by that. Yeah. But then also, I mean, it should be a conversation if that's going to be the case. But I don't think there needs to be heightened pressure about it because, like you said, like you should be able to watch it and be cognizant of the fact that I'm not going to go watch a scene of them not using a condom. But, oh, let me go do that without a condom. Like, it's just like that wouldn't even make sense. But for some people, that could be the driving force or more of a reason as an influence for them to partake in those activities. Yes, and Trojan, if you'd like to sponsor this show... We would love to sponsor, and I wouldn't mind getting some free condoms too. <laughs> Practice safe sex. You a mess. Um, another <laughs> another <laughs> element of the show that I thought was important, and I thought it was a great conversation piece, is hotation. Mm. Now you know Isa is a single woman now, so she wants to get her groove back. And I kind of like the phrase hotation. Um, the reason being is that oftentimes women are perceived as being holes, whether they have. They can have two partners, you a hoe. Like, you can go from two to 20, or however numbers you may have. That word is always a stigma for women. And I think it's... What I find... What I enjoyed about the episode is that she claimed it. It was like, you know, I'm doing my hotation thing. And I think that's very interesting. because It's like how Amber Rose, she claims slut walk and being a slut. It's a derogatory term, but when you flip it and you make it into something that you don't take it you don't take the negative context of it and you kind of flip it and make it positive i think that's very powerful and that's what i like about um isa mentioning in the show and hotation and her being with having casual sex and not meaning anything and not having any feelings sometimes you don't hear that from females it's like oh if a female has sex with someone it's always emotional it's always some ties to it and that's not true women partake in casual sex and have sex and it's not no real ties to anything it was like you know you you did what you had to do Thank you for your services. Enjoy the rest of your night. And it's simple. So I like that they kind of weave that into the show. What was your take? All right. <laughs> I hate you. No, I'm not. I was la- trying so hard to have a straight face I'm, right now. I'm and laughing. you sit up here laughing. Yeah, I could actually hear you saying that to somebody. I just. <laughs> <laughs> do you like, do you need your parking validated? Like. <laughs> stand you um so from a man's standpoint pierre do you think it's more accepting for a man to be with multiple females after breakup than opposed to a woman being with multiple men after a breakup oh definitely it's definitely a double standard but people will frown upon a woman having multiple sexual partners especially if it's at the same time but a guy will be praised for it lawrence yeah Lawrence, Lawrence Hive. Hive. Disgusting, by the way. I literally, literally just realized that Lawrence Hive is kind of like a play on the beehive. I was Bruh, like... I was it trying, doesn't take that long to figure that I out. I just found this out, like, this weekend. I was like, is Hive his last name? Like, I, I literally did not understand it. Then I saw somebody hashtag beehive, and I was like, oh. The fact that you just caught on to that is like, so clearly you're not a part of the Lauren Time. I definitely am, but... Oh, you are? Yeah, seriously. That's my man's right there. (laughs) So do you think that um, in regards to having casual sex, 
Do you think that both parties can engage in casual sex after a breakup? And that's all it is, like a man and a woman. Because oftentimes people say woman, it gets emotional and they get feelings. Do you think it applies to both? Um, yeah, definitely. I think guys and girls definitely can get emotional, but also at the same time can just have hotations where it's it's just sex and it's just something that itch they want to scratch and they have their people to do that and there is no emotion or strings attached because I know girls who who can do that and can't and I know guys who who can't have sex with multiple girls at one time like they need to be with one person and so I think it goes both ways but there's just that stigma that women shouldn't do that and if they are they're a hoe and if guys do it, they're the man, they're a player. So it's a double standard, but I definitely think it can go either way. But one thing I just want to say, I really like the fact that um, she took the word hoe and made it into hotation, like you said, making it something positive. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like what we discussed with the N-word. Yes, and very valid. I feel like that's awesome. Like She literally took something that had a negative stigma when it came to women and she made it cool like I actually told a friend the other day you need a rotation like you need, <laughs> you need to a lineup, get, bro. yeah you need to get out of your breakup get over this dude he's a bum and you need to get you your fuck whole boy? yeah speaking of <laughs> speaking of fuck boys uh-huh. so with Lawrence Lawrence Hive so you know he's partaking in um, casual sex with Natasha even though she thought it was more than that and she clearly wanted it to be more than that and he kind of knew that as well so he kind of he became a fuckboy in that instance. So now it's like the fuckboy versus the good guys kind of thing. What is the definition of a fuckboy? I really want to know your perspective. Because I know mine and a couple of my friends. But I just want to get your take. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a fuckboy is someone who is good with the ladies. Like ladies like him. And I think... So he'll be a you? Me? I'm just... I'm just asking. I mean, there has to be more to a fuckboy than that. No, no, I'm trying... Because I never really got asked, like, what is it specifically? So I'm trying to really... Trying to piece it together in my head. So I think someone who's good with women, um, who has multiple women that he's engaging in sex with, or can, and I think someone who makes uh, the girl feel like they're the only one, but that's not the case. Clearly. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with if you're single and you're dating and you're hooking up with multiple people, but as long as you're being open and honest and upfront about that, kind of going back to what we were saying before about just having protected sex, making sure you and your partner are protected. And that goes with that comes like saying, hey, I'm not only having sex with you, I'm having sex with other people. So. We need to use condoms, and I just want to put that information out there so there's no ambiguity. I think a lot of times there are women who are down to just have sex, and it's you, you enjoy spending time with each other, and you enjoy having sex with each other, but if you keep it official, keep it up front from the beginning, like, I'm not looking for anything more than this, I just want something casual, there are women who will be down for that, and... But by you being upfront about it in the first place, you're probably going to lose a lot of them. But I don't think so. And that's a misconception with mm-hmm. fuckboys is that I think that 
some men are very apprehensive about being forward about what they want. Like, I don't want a relationship. I'm just looking to have fun. Um, and I think that's very important because it's misleading. Not every not every woman or every girl is the same. And I think guys tend to fall into that. Like, if I don't tell her I want to be with her, she ain't going to let me be. Mom, maybe not. But then again, would you risk... Okay, maybe that one chick or maybe two. So would you risk you lying to her, playing with her feelings and emotions just to be, and then guess what happens? She gets even more into you. It becomes even more of an issue, and then drive-by start happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is what I'm saying. You can't... It's, it's bringing back memories. Here. It's bringing back memories for you. <laughs> and then opposed to you just saying, this is what I want in front of her. She'd be like, I don't want it. Then keep. Then she can keep it pushing. There's other females out there, like Issa, that just wants a rotation, a rotation. So... To me, it's like, I think there's a common misconception with men is like, I can't be forward with her about what I really want because then you think you're going to, she's going to walk away. But my thing is, if it's just sex, why does it matter if she walks away? Because you just want to have sex with that person. Well, have sex with another person. That's down with what you want to do. And then you won't be a fuck boy. You'll be a good guy. Well, why are you touching me? What are you trying to I'm just saying. I'm just saying. At some point... Don't you consider yourself a fuckboy in your life, Tom? Me? No, you. Yeah. Don't act like you perfect guy in these streets, Pierre. Come on, let's keep it on it. Because you're a part of the Lawrence Hive, and he's a fuckboy. <laughs> well, no, he's not. You admire him. No, he's, he's not. He's your hero. He's not a fuckboy. How is he not? He he's played a, with Natasha. He's a man that got hurt, and he got into it. Don't, a- no, don't add context to the shit. No, this is what y'all do. He got hurt. Yes, I get it. And someone used that. As a defense, oh well, he was she. No, but that's that was with her. You don't just pass that along to another relationship. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I ain't shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. I'm just putting it out there. Stay away from me. Really? Yeah. That's how you gonna do it? I'm I'm a great, amazing guy, but I ain't shit. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> just to get a better understanding of the Lawrence Hive and what you guys discuss in your circle or group chats about the situation that took place. And I just feel like, I personally feel like for any guy who's listening to the show and you classify yourself as a fuckboy or not, or undercover, um, be honest about the girl you're going to be with or the woman you're going to be with. Tell her that you just want this, if it's just sex, and that's it, and leave it at that. That doesn't mean you do the pillow talks. That's where things get personal and technical no, and crazy. That's, I disagree. Just keep it simple and just keep it going. I don't. I disagree there. You find the pillow talk is necessary? I like pillow talking. You I better like, get you a build a bear. I like pillow talking. <laughs> I like cuddling. Like, you can have all of that stuff, but if it's no, just... If you that's just, where it becomes very... That's where lines become blurred, and then feelings come into play. Well, but that's where you go back to the beginning. You, you, you're up front from the very beginning, so there's no ambiguity. And then if feelings do get involved, then we can address those feelings together, because... We knew what it was from the very beginning. Okay. And that's what you want to go with. You think I'm a fuckboy? I think... That kind of hurt my feelings. Not even. You know it's all love. I'm just saying, though. Damn. I know how you operate. I have no you're idea not, what you're talking You're about. not innocent and you're not perfect. And that's fine. Ladies, I'm single. You can... Bruh. <laughs> at me on Instagram. The latest episode of Insecure. <laughs> no shade. <laughs> I think it was a very important conversation to have among um, Issa and her friends. They were at a sexplosion party. And um, 
the woman among the crew, um, she's married, and she also go by a real life Amanda Sales, which we talked about her in a previous episode with the two Lady Gaga. Make sure you check out our latest episode while you're at it. Um, basically, the conversation was around black women being apprehensive to giving head, and I think that conversation was very important because it's a common misconception that black women don't partake in oral sex or give head, and that's the reason why black men they date white women. And I thought that conversation was very important because it happens where I think that's a common misconception of black women not partaking in that. And I really dislike when those conversations are being had because it's like you make the assumption about every black woman in the U.S. around the world. Like if you ain't been with every black woman, you can't make that assumption about a black woman as to what they will or will not do. Um, So I thought that part was really interesting. And also, what's your take on it? Um, when you seen the episode, I thought that I thought it was interesting too because I've I've heard that as well growing up, especially when I was younger, like before I was having any sex, mm-hmm. like yeah, black girls don't give head, white girls do. I just think all that stuff is just it's it's all just stereotypes and it's it really is it's not it's not true, it's. I think for whatever reason it's talked about and I think I, I do feel that people hear these and they try to like they try to I guess I don't know how to say this they try to basically embody that like I had friends growing up like yeah I don't give oral to women or girls saying yeah that's what you think I'm a hoe I don't do that, <laughs> that too. and it's like people they feel like there's a stigma around it in yeah. the black community, but everybody's doing it, so... This is true. That's, that's my take on it. Well, clearly not everyone, because one of her friends on the show was like, I'm that, so I was like, oh, that's odd. But, um, yeah, so, in any event, that's the end of our show. Make sure you tune into Insecure. It's on HBO on Sundays at 10. Yes, around that time. (laughs) Um, And make sure you tune into our latest episode. It's on SoundCloud and iTunes. And once again, thank you for tuning in. Please follow us for our latest updates on Instagram at underscore unapologetically underscore different. You can add us at Twitter at unapologetic two underscores D. Reach out to us on Facebook at unapologetically different lastly send an email at unapologetically different at gmail.com stay tuned for next week's episode bye